You're listening to The Big Interview Show. That's right. You are listening to The Big Interview Show right here on WCCR 94.5. We are celebrating College Radio Day here at the University of the Cumberlands, celebrating with hundreds of college and high school radio stations across the world. And we thank you so much for listening to us today. Today is a special radio show for me, the season two premiere of this very program, The Big Interview Show, uh, which debuted this past summer, the summer of 2013. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to any of those programs, uh, essentially the, the, the goal, the mindset I had behind this program was, was simply just remembering that every person has a story worth telling, and we just need to take the, the time to sit down and listen to that story. And so I've had a, a, all sorts of interesting guests over the course of the summer, several uh, theater-influenced guests as well, including uh, Rebecca Parton of the Wildwood Theater and also Carl Walling of the University of the Cumberland's Theater Department. And today on the season two premiere of The Big Interview Show, glad to be joined by none other than Dr. Kim Miller, Associate Professor of Theater here at the University of the Cumberland. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Glad to have you here. We're trying to figure out a little bit of uh, microphone hiccups and some technical difficulties, but it's a total pleasure to be with you. (laughs) There we go. I think we're good. So I guess you should tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Where'd you grow up? That sort of thing. And then we'll move into current day very quickly. (laughs) I I grew up in a very small town called Erie, Illinois. Lived there my entire childhood. Uh, Went off to college, grad school. Grad school led to a couple jobs and ended up here in Williamsburg. Great. uh, At the University of the Cumberlands. Um, So I I imagine that you could have done anything that you wanted to in in life. (laughs) You just seem like that type of person. How did you end up choosing theater and studying theater? There... it was, a, it was a process. It, it occurred over time. Um, I'd always kind of been interested in theater, and because I have a loud voice, <laughs> I was often cast in the elementary school and high school shows because they didn't need to mic me. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, th- I think the one of the turning points was when I was an undergrad. I'd actually, I was a, an English major, and I'd actually stopped going to, because it was a very small school and a small theater program, and I'd stopped attending the theater productions because it was the same group who were always cast, which was mm-hmm. fine, and they were all v- very close, which was fine as well. But they'd fallen into some, what I recognize now, as behavior patterns. So I could anticipate how they were going to behave mm-hmm. before they actually did it on stage. And anytime I can anticipate what's going to happen in a situation like that, I get bored. Because <laughs> it's get, really hard to suspend your disbelief. You right, what's exactly, exactly. When I get bored, I get yeah. in trouble. And so it's just, that's just not good. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then uh, during my, my senior year, I was asked by the, the newspaper to review their production of A School for Scandal. And so mm-hmm. I went to the opening night and they had brought in a former theater major who had graduated and was looking to go to grad school. So came back to do some extra work and she was working as the dramaturg on the production. And she had worked with the actors on their posture and their movement. And um, when these people came on stage, I was literally blown away mm-hmm. because I knew who they were, but I still had to double check because these were not the people I was familiar yeah. with. It was totally new. And in this production, um, because it's a, a period piece, 
all the people walked, um, every time they took a step, they sort of pointed their toe before they put their foot down. So every step was a, a toe pointing moment. Hmm. And I went out into the, the lobby at intermission and there were some people who were consciously trying to point their toes and there were some people who were doing it and I don't think they were aware they were doing it. And I was like, oh, this is power. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that stayed with me. And then when I went to graduate school, I'd mentioned to a faculty member, I'd I was interested in dramaturgy, and she hooked me up with the theater department at Iowa State University. And then um, when I finished my graduate degree and my master's of English, I thought, boy, if I'm going to if I'm going to be writing about theater, I should know how these people talk and how they think and how they see the plays rather than how an English major sees the plays. Yeah. So I went on and did a PhD in theater, and that's kind of cemented everything for me. Wow, wow. Uh, so the, the dramaturg uh, term was something that we <laughs> talked about off the air last week that I had never heard before. Is right. that a common thing to have a dramaturg attached to a production? It's it's become more common. Okay. Um, it actually started back in Germany um, when Germany was getting formed and started their own national theater. They realized they needed somebody to uh, sort of rein in the actors and also to educate the audience about how they should see a show and what they should do. And so uh, they hired this guy to prep the audience and to do audience outreach and to also critique the actors. And he was quite honest with them, um, which he only stayed in the job about a year and a half <laughs> because he was perhaps too honest. Fair enough. Um, but now uh, with the level of research that can go into shows and the amount of development that goes into shows, some dramaturgs work as audience outreach, do study guides. And that's what I did a lot of at Iowa State was I did study guides mm -hmm. for classes that were going to be coming to see our shows. Um, or you could be like a production dramaturg, which is the work I saw when I was an undergrad, somebody who does the research and says, okay, if you're wearing this type of clothing, how can you stand? How's your movement limited? And then teaching the actors how to move or how to speak. Hmm. So it is becoming um, more prevalent. Okay. Okay. Because... Uh uh, I just always like learning new things. And it's like, that sounds interesting. Tell me more. It's, it's very interesting. And some, some dramaturgs translate plays or do adaptations, uh, kind so of what I've done. Pretty so. versatile kind of role. Or right. It, it is. It is. Uh, so what was the transli transition like going from, from studying English, obviously mostly writing, to studying theater, where there's certainly a, a lot of writing involved, but some, some other <laughs> activities, to say the least. Well, I think um, my first year of my PhD program was just, it was like learning a new language because um, I was used to talking about plays in one way and that's not really how theater people talk about plays so you know I'd go see a student production and I'd be talking to one of my professors and say well the theme of the show and they would look at me and say there was no theme on stage there were actors there was lights hmm. there was costumes there was action but there's no theme on stage and so it was um, doing that mental shift from a more literary perhaps abstract conceptual to actually, okay, what is the blood and the sweat and the tears that you're seeing in front of you? Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a huge transition. It was then. a huge transition. I mean, that for, seems like, a while, almost like thought, a 180. For a while, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I've made, I should have stayed in English, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, I did stay with it and, and they just, just kept reminding me, kept reminding me. And really then I just started doing a lot of theater. I didn't any, any sort of production I could get in on. And with the experience came the language. Um, would you say that there are any um, plays or productions or maybe even performances you were a part of that, that in particular really influenced you and kind of helped steer you uh, down the path? Um, 
At every step there's been, uh, when I was an undergrad, I was the stage manager, assistant director for a production of um, A Midsummer Night's Dream. And so at one point I had that entire play memorized because I had to cue the actors, et cetera, et cetera, um, which really just kind of helped me get into the language. And then the first show that I worked with at Iowa State was Barbara Fields playing with fire, which is based on the Frankenstein novel. Okay. And so the director had me not only read the Frankenstein novel, but I had to read the big Gothic novel of the time. If you really wanted to be scared, you had to read the Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe, which which is this like seven hundred page just I'll pass. all romanticism. Well, I'll pass. you know what? I've read it, so I can have read it for everybody. That's good. <laughs> I'm very thankful on behalf of everybody. <laughs> it's like 10 pages of describing the sunset uh, in the valley. Um, so that really gave me an appreciation for the research mm-hmm. and um, certainly directing my first play um, and my PhD program, which is called Zara Spook and Other Lures, then that really just cemented the whole process for me. Now, when you were starting uh, directing plays, when you were, were early into that process, um, if you could go back and, and tell yourself something, what what would that be? Don't worry about the rules so much. Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember the, the first one act I directed was actually, uh, it was uh, the Stonewater Rapture. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the playwright's name, but it was about these two high schoolers. And um, the young woman had been raped. And there's a phone in the scene and I spent a great deal of time worrying about getting the right phone when really for what we were doing um, a receiver from a phone would have been fine and so just to relax a bit more and let things happen. Now you found yourself much more interested in in directing and acting than maybe the technical side of things. Uh, at least that's what you do here at the university, I should say that. Uh, but I know you were also a part of an improv yes. group. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about that? I got involved with an improvisational group uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, and it was just a bunch of people, some who'd had theater experience, some who were just looking for something to do in the evenings. And as I said, the way I really uh, got to thinking theater is just doing theater all the time. And a friend of mine had said, hey, come do this. It's once again, not a lot of rules. Um, you'll find it relaxing. And um, we all worked together. It was probably about a year and a half by the time we all started going our separate ways. But there was somebody who was interested in improv, and they took over the leadership of the group and taught the rest of us. And then we were getting to a point where we were starting to perform around town and even thinking about going into Kansas City to perform. And so it was just really um, a very freeing form of storytelling because since everything happens in the moment you don't have the time to do the research or to do the preparation and I tend to get caught up in that and perhaps overemphasize that there's a reason why I wanted to be the theater researcher yeah yeah yeah. you know I wanted to I thought I was going to spend my career in a library um Mm. but uh it was a really good move for me to have to just go out there and do it yeah now, th- I've heard, and I hear things that are sometimes not true, but I've heard... <laughs> Isn't that fun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct me. Um, that I've heard that one of the basic rules in improv is that you should always say yes. You should always kind of go yes. with the suggestion. Yes. Uh, let's see if I can remember. The, the three rules of improv are to say yes to everything that's offered, 
to always make your buddy look good and to say the first thing that comes off the top of your head. <laughs> that sounds wildly dangerous, which yes. I'm sure is part which, of the fun and the freedom, too. And which is why the, the improv class is the fourth of our four acting classes, because by the time I get people in improv, I want to know what kind of energy they're bringing to the table. Not that they need to change their energy or change who they are, but I want to be prepared if somebody's going to be a little bit more edgier, if they need to be, if they're going to be a little bit more shy, to be prepared for that. Um, so yes, you say yes. <laughs> okay, okay. I can imagine that you know if you say you're a giant banana, and you say no, I'm not. That's not funny. That's not going to do awkward. anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then that was really good for me because I'm always the person who's like, well, let me think about it. <laughs> and I need like three days to think about it. <laughs> That's what I would do. Just for the record. Uh, so when you you kind of make this, um, I guess you could call it a career shift and, and focus more on theater for your family and friends supportive of, of your choice to, to kind of devote yourself to theater? Well, I think at that point in my life, people had already realized that I'm going to do what I'm going to do. <laughs> right. And so it was like, okay, Kim, well, good for you. Hope you're happy. <laughs> We're going to go great. on with things. That's great. So no one had ever sat me down and said, what are you doing? Um, but I do feel, and there may be one or two people out there who are still just sort of waiting for me to say, oh, wow, this was a big mistake. Please, somebody help me get a job. <laughs> right. And that hasn't Where happened. Where can I become an accountant? Right, you know? right, Yeah, right. not there's anything wrong with that either, but yeah. Um, well, they have lots of rules in accounting, which yeah. might appeal to me. <laughs> that's that's true, that's true. Um, you know, what are, um, this is a big question, let me okay. preface it with this. What are some misconceptions or maybe um, unfortunate stereotypes that, that people have about theater? I think a lot of people assume that we're not thinking that it is like improv where you're just sort of going out there and doing it. And so let me say that the people who do improv and do it well, they are doing things in the moment, but they've established a long practice of throwing themselves into the moment so things work. There's a lot of um, critical thinking, planning, and documentation that mm -hmm. goes into doing theater. Um, one of the popular definitions or one of the recurring definitions through time of what an actor does is an actor has to seem as though they are doing nothing. And so if it looks like um, a performance really doesn't cost the actor anything, it's because the actor is doing a good job of not showing, you know, what's happening underneath or inside. And I think you can say that about designers and um, anybody. It's that sense that um, you're not going to see us do the work. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of work to it. Um, also, and I think this is kind of a surprise for students who are coming in and maybe thinking about careers in theater. In theater, you're always studying. Um, I'm using my summers to read plays, and you're always trying to get the next idea. So there's never a point of where you can say, yeah, I know it all. Yeah. I can coast from here. And I'm sure that's probably true for every discipline. Um, but theater seems to be, um, people get kind of surprised when they realize that what we're doing here is to train students. They think mm -hmm. we're just doing it because we have evenings free and no, no one's using the, <laughs> the phone theater. <laughs> why not? We have this building. Let's yeah. do something. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, you uh, have directed a, a lot of productions here at, at the University of the Cumberlands, uh, and uh, not just because you have the space, but because you're <laughs> teaching students. Um, you know, um, and the 11th production is, is coming up this weekend, which yes. we'll talk about uh, in just a few minutes. But um, I've heard you say in the past that... Um, your, your goal is, is not just to entertain the audiences, though it is certainly to entertain the, entertain the audiences and give them a good show, but it's also to educate students and educate kind of the audience yes. in general about theater. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of that 
that unique goal that I think a lot of right. people don't realize. Yeah, and people you know, don't realize. And that why just, are you doing High School Musical too, or or something you know. Disney related? Right. Which um, I constantly have that conversation with people why we're not doing the Disney stuff, which we we might someday. Uh, you know, and it, all, it goes all the way back to the Greeks. Um, the goal of theater is to educate and to entertain, and what education means for us here is. We try to establish as professional of an atmosphere as we can because we have we do have some students who want to transition on into the professional world. And theater is a very small world. And if the people realize you don't know your stuff, you don't get jobs. You mm -hmm. don't work. So sometimes people feel like we've got a lot of rules. We're very strict. But we're doing that so that our students can go on and work in the professional world and understand what this is. In terms of educating the audience, we have a lot of students who come to the university and maybe they've never seen a play or don't know what theater is. And so my goal is that if a student is here for four years, we do two shows a year. So they have the opportunity to see eight different shows. Hmm. So they are going to see eight different styles of theater. They're not going to see us do the same thing over and over and over. We are going to switch it up, change it out. And so that even if they're not a theater person, all they do is spend eight separate nights coming to the Cone Theater. They are going to come away with a broad view of what performance can be. And I think that's a beautiful thing, just to be exposed to a lot. And, and uh, I think a lot of times, I mean, at least for me, I don't know what's out there. I don't know uh, a certain type of production until I see it here. And then that's kind of a, a gateway into some other things. And so, um, I mean, even just thinking of some off the top of my head that you've done, very, very different, um, whether that's King Lear or Seussical or The Fantastics or Into the Woods or A Christmas Carol, all very different <laughs> kind of shows, but I think all enjoyable. Thank you. Thank, I hope so. I hope so. We, we do try to switch it up. And um, sometimes we will choose a show because we have students in the technical side who need that challenge. Into the Woods was a great opportunity for our master carpenter to build a tree. Seussical was a great opportunity for our stage manager to have to call a show that has several hundred cues. Wow. So sometimes it may not be immediately clear why we've chosen a show, but we are trying to serve the needs of the students. That um, they can really get, I mean, what's in reality even the job skill. Right, uh, with, right. With so that, that they've got something know. on their resume or in their portfolio and say, look, I handled this. So, And I think I think that's that's a unique challenge, I'm sure, because I know, um, or I, I would at least imagine, I don't know, but that there are some people that want you to do whatever the most popular play is right now. Why aren't right. you you know, doing that one? But uh, the, the educational goal is, is certainly a big one and a, uh, right. an important we're, one. For we're always we're monitoring, okay, who's coming up through the program and what kind of challenges are they going to need and what kind of work do they want to be doing? So um, we have had people suggest shows to us because it's the current most popular one or maybe um, our predecessors, you know, seven years ago did this show and it was really great and everybody had a good time and let's recreate that experience. Right. But um, we're really trying to serve um, our students who are on stage and backstage and then a strong secondary goal is to serve the students who come to see the show. Um, I've had friends who entered the corporate world and because corporations are the ones who support the sporting events and the arts, mm -hmm. their bosses invited them to a gallery showing or to go to um, a soccer game and not knowing anything about it, that can be a little bit uncomfortable. So just knowing how to approach an artistic event, even if you're not an artist yourself, don't ever plan on doing art, but having that experience just helps you negotiate the world. Yeah, absolutely. 
everything that you you learn you can use elsewhere That's even right. if you don't think you will um, of, of those productions that you've done, uh, Shining Our Light excluded, because um, that's that's what's coming up in the next segment. Uh, which of the productions you've done here would you consider, if I made you choose, to be the most challenging out of the ten? Mm. It's tough because the challenges change with every show. Um, I think... Um, King Lear was challenging simply because it's such a, in a way, a depressing, depressing show. Um, But there's a point in it being depressing that when you don't pay attention to your responsibilities, things are going to fall apart. The world is not Mm going to continue going on if if people don't invest an interest in it and and start to care. Um, And I think Into the Woods was challenging the musical um, just because we had so many people and when you're dealing with that many schedules and that many schedules of college students, it's hard to get people in the same place on the same page yeah. <laughs> at the same time. And so it gets frustrating because uh, I do want to see, I, I, I need to see what the show's going to be before we let the audience in the door. Mm-hmm. And some, some people don't understand that. They're just, well, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do it and it's going to be fine. Well, <laughs> Yeah, it will be fine, but boy, it could be so much better right. if we get it coordinated mm-hmm. and make a real impact. So every show is presented, it's challenges, and that makes the job interesting because it's sort of like, okay, what's going to happen this time? Gives you an opportunity to learn something. That's right, yeah. that's right. Um, any of those in particular that, uh, I mean, I'm sure you're proud of all of them. That's not what I'm saying. I am. Um, maybe this is asking like someone to pick their favorite child or something. <laughs> um, but of the, of the productions you've been involved with here at the University of the Cumberlands, is there one in particular that stands out? In your mind? I can't really say that there is because just for me, part of the process when I'm working on a show, I'm totally invested in that show. And then in order to make that break, I have to almost break with the show completely and just it becomes part of the past. And um, I'm glad I did it. Glad mm-hmm. I wor- Really glad I worked with the people that I worked with and I'll have great memories of it. But I can't, I don't go into a show saying, boy, if we could make this like that was um it's always whatever's mm-hmm. right in front of me that i'm focused on speaking of, of right in front of you in our next segment uh, we'll be talking with dr miller about let me try it again shining our light <laughs> let me say it correctly that's important uh which opens this weekend as a part of uh, the university celebration of 125 yes. years <laughs> so we'll be talking about that we're gonna take a one minute break you're listening to the big interview show right here on 94.5 the crossroads
That's right. You are listening to The Big Interview Show right here on 94.5 FM, The Crossroads. We are celebrating College Radio Day here at the University of the Cumberlands. And as a part of that, I am joined by Dr. Kim Miller, Associate Professor of Theater here at UC, who has a very big production coming up very, very soon. Uh, We're going to see the debut of Shining Our Light, which not only is directed by you, but also written by you. Can you tell us a little bit about Shining Our Light, how that came about? Uh, About a year ago. President, uh, the president's office sent me an email saying we've got this um, big celebration year coming up and we'd like a play about the history of the, the university. And I was sort of involved at Susical at the time. And so about three days later, I got another email that was like, no, we're serious. We, we want to play. <laughs> so I said, sure. I, I'm really happy to do it. I was kind of, you know, surprised and really yeah, honored. Wow. Um, so the play is based on the, the book by President Jim Taylor called um, a, a, a Shining City Set on a Hill, which was written for the 100th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And um, we we had discussions about what he wanted to see in the show. So I am sort of working as a dramaturg on, on this production um, because I'm basing it off of his writing. And so I took the things that um, he felt were important and I read the book and the things that I found interesting or important. And so really what the play is focusing on are the, the families and the, the individuals who just really made a commitment that there was going to be a school in Williamsburg and um, this, some of the sacrifices they had to make to mm-hmm. see that that happened. So how do you go about this challenge, which is a big challenge, to not only sum up uh, a very important book, uh, but also to sum up a book that covers a hundred years yeah. and a play that's, I'm sure, less than, than two hours or so. Well, actually, um, just because it is a homecoming weekend, it was requested um, that we keep it closer to an hour. Okay. And so okay. it is my goal. Last night, our run through was at an hour and five minutes, and we're going to trim that last five minutes off of it. So um, what I was looking for was some kind of through line that ties all these stories together, other yeah. than the fact that it's just the University of the Cumberlands. Right. And what I discovered is this... Um, the people facing uncertainty, but really believing in something and wanting to make a commitment to it. And then I wanted to make sure that we tied the history to, especially today's students. I really wanted to try to reach today's students. So I was working from that angle. And it was, um, I was reading about something that happened in the 1980s and it all kind of clicked for me. And I don't want to give too much away. Right, right. <laughs> um, but it gave me kind of the image and the through line that I was able to work. And oftentimes when I know where I'm going to end up, then I can go back and work everything from the beginning. So does it start? Um, can, you, can you answer this? First of all, <laughs> does it start close to 1888? Well, we start or? with a processional of the cast. Okay. Um, very formal. And um, I also want to give credit to um, Rachel Bolin and Rayford Watts, who are both alums of the university. And they've written a song, especially for this occasion, called Cumberlands. And we are going to have the verses and the lyrics, the lyrics and the music in our program. And we're going to invite the audience to sing along the first two verses and the refrain at the top of the show. And so um, we're trying to establish the feel of the show and from there, we do go back to actually what was happening just before the college got started. Okay. Okay. So that, I mean, that's, that's a huge undertaking. I mean, is there, is there an added pressure that, that comes along with adapting a true story? I think there is. Theater? I think there is because um, 
theater is about conflict. And sometimes people don't always look good when they're in conflict. And so it was hard to, um, wanted to tell the true story, but there's not a lot of details about a lot of the things that they did go through. We know that they sacrificed. We know how much money they gave. We know a little bit about what they went through, but to make it pertinent to today. Mm-hmm. And President Taylor gave me a huge gift. Um, we had a face-to-face conversation last fall and he said, you know, you can make this funny. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't yeah. have to always be serious and solemn. And that really was freeing for me. So I do want to honor um, the people who shaped the university and they did a lot, but you know, they were people too and they had problems and they didn't always get along and um, they had doubts. And so I'm trying to show that that's the way it is. Yeah. That's yeah. what we all go through. Absolutely. And and plus it gives you a chance to, to include some of the, the I guess, uh, wackier yes. parts. Of, yeah. And of that's history. just kind of me, I think. <laughs> the, the serious historical stuff is, is President Taylor's input and the stuff that's a little kind of crazy and a little off the wall. That's all. That's me. <laughs> we'll, we'll know. Uh, you should be able to tell. What's, what's from who. Um, and as you, as you approach uh, opening night, which is uh, on the 4th of October, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, actually it's um, the afternoon. We've got a 3 p.m. Right. and we're almost, we're close to selling out for that 3 p.m. show. That's great. Yeah, so I, I can go ahead and run through these dates. Uh, looks Please. like uh, the show opens on October 4th at 3 p.m. Get mm-hmm. your tickets now. There's also a performance that evening at 7.30 p.m. Uh, and then there's a 2 o'clock performance and a 7.30 performance on the 5th. That would be Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a matinee on Sunday at 2 o'clock. Correct. And uh, there are uh, at least a couple ways that uh, you can get the tickets, one of which is you can actually go online uh, from the university's website and order those tickets, and you can also contact the theater box office, right? Right, and that phone number is 539-4535, and we do have a, um, a voice machine, so you can leave a message. Thank you for, for covering that. I don't know how you knew I didn't have that in front of me. Maybe my face gave it away. But um, and I'm we, good at reading people. Ah, it's the, the theater. Um, it's the director in you. That would make sense. Um, and so Shining Our Lights uh, is uh, a very exciting production um, for, for you to be a part of. And I was just curious if there's anything else that you would want to share about it, whether that's the story, how things are going, Anything like that before we maybe move on? Well, I I, I want to send uh, I owe a great debt to the cast because um, being the playwright and the director and not being tied to any copyright laws as I am on other productions we do, um, the scene order and the lines have been a little fluid <laughs> and have changed. And so, I hadn't thought about that. Um, Fortunately, I've got some people who are like, hey, can you try this line? Yeah, I can do it. And then they've got it down. Um, I've got one actor who I told her on a Friday afternoon that I wanted her to try to use an accent for one scene. She came into rehearsal that night and already had it halfway down. Wow. So I've got a group of people who are really willing to adapt and just sort of go with the flow. And so I really owe them a huge thank you. Also, um, in trying to connect this story to our audience, our contemporary audience, I have asked um, during auditions. I ask that when people audition, that they tell me a story rather than they could rather than do a monologue. That they tell me a story about their connection to the university. Mm-hmm. And then once I had the cast, I asked, "Is anybody willing to tell this to the audience?" 
And so we've got four people who are doing monologues, talking about why the university is important to them. And one person has only been on campus um, less than a month and a half. Wow. And another person um, was here as a student in the late 60s, early 70s. Wow. So we're going to get different views. Yeah. And each one kind of offers something. Um, we've got kind of a unique visual to go along with each person. Um, in some cases, it's their original artwork or um, some things that we staged. But um, I'm really excited about that and to see how that goes. That's that's a that's a really neat addition to it because I think that that will help people connect to it and and uh, kind of back up the themes that you were mentioning and, and that that kind of overall arc of the story um, and uh, kind of kind of going along with that as you approach opening weekend are, are you are you nervous are you super pumped are you every emotion wrapped into one what's it feel like to, think to be so close to that opening day there's some of it is disbelief um and there there are all those emotions but i find that they're they're kind of locked away somewhere i think of i've got them in a zip drive somewhere that i'll open up <laughs> over a break um because usually when we get to this point in a production process i'm getting ready to let go of the show so that after that last rehearsal it's on the actors, it's on the crew, it's their show, they've got to make it their own. But as the playwright, I'm having a hard time doing that. I'm having a hard time just saying, yeah, I'm done with this. And there's part of me that says, oh, I want to research this next month, <laughs> write another scene, and it's it's done. I, I'm sure I'm sure that would be happening, because, I mean, it's your baby. You know, you're not just directing somebody else's words. They're, I mean, they're adapted from Dr. Taylor's words, but it's, it's, your, it's your play. Right. And that would be really hard to just... Be done. So, I think. so I think there's next Sunday night or Monday. There, there may be a moment of shock of, mm-hmm. um, and I always go through this whenever I direct a show. I've got two or three nights where I go home after work when I, you would usually be in rehearsal, and I've got so many things to do. There's dishes to be done, and laundry to be done, and bills to be paid, and I just sit and stare at the walls. <laughs> so there's going to be that moment of whoa, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> but that that is part of the process, and I've I've mm-hmm. learned to stop fighting it and just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me ask you this question before we go to another break. Uh, you mentioned that you had kind of asked your students, your uh, at least the people auditioning, not just students, mm-hmm. but um, your cast, to, to share stories about what led them to the University of the Cumberlands or some experience that they had here. How did you end up here at the University of the Cumberlands? I, Let's go there. I was in western Kansas uh, as a full-time faculty member, and I was in a one-year position, and I had... Um, as happens, unfortunately, I had gotten the job because the full-time faculty member had become ill mm. and was not going to be able to return to work. And they had told me, well, you know, this is going to become a permanent position. It's going to become a permanent position. And every year I was there, there was more responsibilities, but no more sense of permanence. Mm. And so I went on the job market and um, as actually having a, a particularly bad Monday, I think it was a Monday, and I went home at lunch and I was just, you know, looking at what mm-hmm. what else is out there, and that had just been posted this opening at the University of the Cumberlands, and I thought, why not? And yeah. I applied and got a phone call from the university about a week later asking me to come and interview, and just uh, thought, why not? Yeah, and been really happy with my decision. I always say yes. <laughs> 
great, great. Well, thank you so much for uh, for for talking about shining our light, and, and we want to remind again our listeners that that opens this Friday at three o'clock, and they can get their tickets at the UC Theater box office or place their order for tickets on the University of the Cumberland's website. Uh, I think there's a link uh, from the 125 graphic, the homecoming graphic, to uh, Shining Our Light theatrical presentation tickets, and you can get your tickets there as well, and we would encourage you to do that. I'm going to take one more one-minute quick break here on the Big Interview Show. We'll be back for the 20 questions segment (laughs) right here on WCCR 94.5. Listening to WCCR 94.5, The Crossroads. Right now, you're tuned into the big interview show with me, Jeremiah. I am joined by Dr. Kim Miller of the University of the Cumberland's Theater Department. And we have reached the portion of the big interview show that some people like the most, that some people dread the most, the 20 questions segment. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to uh, the show this summer, here's how this segment works. No matter what we talk about for the rest of the hour, when I have a guest on, they all answer these same 20 questions for better or for worse. It's just fun. Uh, so with that introduction, are you ready for the dreaded 20 questions? I think Dr. so. Moore? I think so. Awesome. Uh, well, let's start with, with this one, which is pretty revealing. Good way to start. What is the latest book or movie that made you cry? There's actually two. Um, I read Sarah's Key um, over the summer, which is about the roundup of the Jewish inhabitants of Paris. And... Um, the early 40s in World War II, and that one made me cry. And then I received through the mail um, a book called Born on the Fifth of July, and it was written by this man who was in nursing school with my mom. And because he'd been born with a congenital condition, he should have been 4F at the time of Vietnam. Mm. But President Nixon had changed the draft regulations, and because he was a male nurse, he ended up in Vietnam during one of the bloodiest years, and he's published his... Uh, what how that year went for him and having known him now um and then reading what he went through as a young man that really got to me yeah that sounds really personal it was personal Mm. what fictional character is most like you (laughs) this is the the hardest one and i really couldn't think of anything this one does stump everybody um nobody's like oh i know what that is i tried to contact some of my friends (laughs) to help me out and they're like please, we have kids and a job. What if we can't do this? And I was like, I'm so glad I work somewhere where I can be on the radio on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, I think uh, Professor Trelawney from the Harry Potter series, because I feel like I just kind of talk and talk and talk, and every once in a while I say something that's really important that people need to know. So that's the best I could come up with. The greatest album ever Anything is... by Rod Stewart. Okay. <laughs> because of the voice? 
Yeah, I think so because of the voice. Or is it like the the whole the whole persona, the whole package? There's actually a story there, but I, I don't know if we have time for it. We have time. Okay, please, please do share. <laughs> Inquiring I, minds um, want to know. I was a, I studied abroad um, fall semester of my senior year as an undergrad. I was in Barcelona, Spain. And two friends from the program and I were going to go up to Andorra, which is this little country between Spain and France. And my Spanish mother had reminded me, you have to take your passport. So we went to meet the tour group and one of the other girls had forgotten to bring her passport. So she had to run back to her home, get her passport. The bus was held up. The tour guide was yelling at us. And I didn't know exactly what she was saying, but I knew it was not complimentary. Right. Um, there were three seats right together on the bus, but the tour guide was so mad at us that she wouldn't let us sit together. So I'm like in the back of the bus, feeling very embarrassed, even though it wasn't me who would right. gotten my passport. And so we're on our way to Andorra, and the bus driver is flipping through the, the stations. And I don't know if he did this deliberately or for just whatever, but it ended up on a station that was playing English music. And Rod Stewart's Forever Young came on, and all of a sudden life was better. And ever since then... <laughs> I have just been a big fan yeah. of his. Hmm. So, yeah, those whole 70s years, uh, no, I'd... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, that's a good song. Um, we got to move on, though. Yeah. We can't talk about Forever Young as, as much as I want to. We'll move on. Maybe that can be like question 21. Okay. Uh, maybe not. Uh, Star Trek or Star Wars? Definitely Star Trek. Um, okay. I actually had to uh, rely on Gavin and Caden Whitaker, who are in the cast, to set me straight on some Star Wars stuff, and you'll just have to come to the play to figure that one out. So, Star Trek. Okay. Uh, what's one way that we can make a positive difference in this world? Well, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, um, you know, just take time to breathe and take time to stop mm. and think things through. But then actually what I think is that if someone is doing that, let them do that. You know, I can't tell you the number of times when I've said, I just need a minute, and five people assume that that means they, they can tell me what I should be doing. <laughs> so if somebody says, I just need a minute to think, respect that, give them that time. Hmm. That would help, that would help a lot. What's something most people don't know about you? I'm shy. I'm really very yeah. shy. Um, and I tend to go too far the other way and, you know, cause I don't want people to know I'm shy. So I put up this very loud, like I said, very loud front. So anytime I have to do something new, I usually sit at home and say, okay, do I really have to go out and do this? <laughs> I, I realize just occasionally being, being a professor here that I realize I have like public speaking all the time that used to, to frighten me. I guess I just yes. got over it. So I understand. I understand where you're coming from there. Um, what do you think about Jesus' claims to be the way, the truth, and the life? I think that the only thing I can really control in this lifetime is my relationship with God. Mm. And so for me, it's a true thing. And everybody else needs to figure it out for themselves. How do you relieve stress? How do you deal with stress? Um, I go for a walk or um, I make myself laugh. I have certain crazy things that have happened in my life, and I just recall those and just make myself laugh. What accomplishment are you the most proud of? I'm the most proud of actually getting my bachelor's degree because there were a lot of obstacles standing in my way, and there were a lot of people who thought they knew what was best for me, and I pretty much did my own thing. And it worked out? It did work out. Very cool. When all is said and done, what would you want to be remembered for? 
I have no idea. There's there's part of me that doesn't even want to be remembered. It's sort of, I'm here, I'm in this moment. I want to make an impact in the moment and whatever happens after I'm gone that other people can worry about. <laughs> uh, of those who've come before you, Dr. Miller, who would you say are the, the most inspirational? In other words, who are your heroes? I don't have any... It was really hard for me. There's writers I admire, but I certainly wouldn't want to have lived their lives. Um, and I guess I would say anybody who's found a way to... Um, to have a laugh, even though life hasn't exactly turned out the way they thought it was going to. Yeah. Um, do you have any hidden talents that you would uh, say that most people don't know? Um, well, for a while, I played the bassoon, which uh, actually, I know, you know, I know. You know I, because I don't think most people know. Um, uh, when I do a jazz show on WCCR, every once in a while, I break out the jazz bassoon music, and no one has stopped me yet, so I have to assume <laughs> other people out there enjoy it, too, but uh, I play the bassoon. Do you get a chance? I'm sure you're crazy busy. Um, we've <laughs> talked about that. Do you get a chance to play often? I have tried to see if there's someone who would lend me a bassoon or let me rent a bassoon um, because they're they're crazy expensive, like yeah. three thousand, four thousand yeah. dollars. Um, so I haven't been back to it. But if I could find my way to get a hand my hands on a bassoon, oh yeah. So if somebody's listening that has a bassoon, <laughs> we're yes. not even joking. Yes, no, we're not. Doctor Miller not. would like to to even borrow that bassoon. If Dr. Someone will let me on the air with it. Look out. Let's let's make that happen. Um, what creative masterpiece do you wish bore your signature? It would have to be something musical because I'm not a musical person. So something like Carol of the Bells that just when, you know, there's certain um, productions of that that just give me chills and I can play it over and over again. Very timeless. Yeah. What is the best thing that you've ever bought, stole, or borrowed. Actually, it's something I received and then I gave it back. Um, <laughs> my best friend growing up uh, purchased a birthday card and it just very well sums up our friendship. So on her next birthday, I gave it back to her and we've been exchanging it <laughs> for decades now. So uh, there's this, it's already fallen apart, but we just keep getting keep bigger going. envelopes and stuffing the pieces in and sending it off. So that's probably, I think it cost dollars when she purchased it what was it it's, it's just a card <laughs> and oh okay um no there's another story there i won't go into it <laughs> okay, okay we'll leave it there yeah we'll leave it mystery there for another time okay fair enough uh, besides water which is is obviously essential uh mm -hmm. what food or drink would you say is most essential to your life um either coffee or dark chocolate and in an <laughs> ideal world you'd have both Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, do you drink coffee like all day or is it like a morning thing? Or? People think I drink a lot of coffee. I don't drink that much coffee, but I like to get a big mug of coffee in the morning and then sip it throughout the day, which the dentists tell you you shouldn't do. But um, yeah, I, I like it when it's nice and hot. And then in the afternoon, it's kind of lukewarm. So And you still like the, the lukewarm? I do, I do. I do. And I will even uh, like it cold when I go home at you know 1030 at night and there's still part of a pot sitting there. It's all good. There you go. Uh, let's say that you got the chance to time travel. You get in your DeLorean or time travel <laughs> device of your choice. Where, when, and then why? Um, I think I'd want to stay here in the United States um, in the 19-teens, probably on the East Coast, just because there was a lot of change going on then. And I'd like to, I'd like to see how it all played out. Anything, so. anything in particular going on well, that, that you would want to... Um, the independent theater movement was occurring at that time, the Provostown Players, and um, I would like to have attended one of their productions because that really was the start of 
American theater. Prior to that, we were just importing from Europe and slapping American names on things and but telling their stories. And so I would have liked to have gone to one of those productions. That sounds really interesting. I, I had no idea. Um, uh, today, this is maybe especially a loaded question. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> Uh, in, in lieu of the shutdown. Uh, mm-hmm. If you got the chance, what would you want to say to the leader of your country? Well, since we're living in a democracy, yes, um, it wouldn't just be addressing President Obama. I think we have to address everybody in the country. And I think I'd yeah. want to say, you know what? For one month, everybody just go to work, do your job to the best of your ability, and don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Mm. And let's see if we can actually get somewhere. Yeah. I think that that's probably a bit harsh. So, but <laughs> I think that's that's more than fair. We'll leave it at that. Um, what is the best thing about living where you live? Well, the actual place where I live, it's right on campus, so I can walk back and forth from rehearsal and classes. Um, what I like living in Williamsburg is um, I like watching the change of the seasons. If it's the the natural cycle of seasons but I also like the university seasons I love graduation day there's so many people on campus and then Mm -hmm. by night it's just silent and then that feeling that you know in August the athletes come back and the band members come back and then every there's you can feel the energy you really can and you can just and just to stand back and watch it ebb and flow is kind of fun Hmm. what are you working on right now what dreams or goals would you, you say that you're you're chasing I have to say, I've really kind of achieved most of my dreams in, in doing the job that I'm doing. Mm. Um, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. It feels good. You, you know, follow follow your own star. Don't let somebody tell you what to do. Um, I'm starting, I've did some work on our next production, which is The Mystery of Edwin Drood, a musical that will be in the spring. And I had put that aside for a while. And now I'm going to pick it up again and be ready to go into conversation with our designers and with David Etter of the music department and Lindsay Baker, who does our choreography right after fall break. Um, also, I'm working on a short play that I'd like to try to get into a contest. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that, that could be. We'll see. Anything you want to share about the play? Um, it's just, it's been read by a couple different groups and I've gotten some good feedback. And so I've been encouraged to continue with it. Oh, that's really exciting. Last question. What's the best piece of advice that you've actually followed? Um, it goes back to being able to take a breath. Uh, when I was directing my first full length play, my advisor sat in on a rehearsal and he told me, if you need a moment, just tell the actors to hang on because sometimes I get three thoughts at once and then the rest of it's just kind of static. And when those three thoughts occur, I need time to piece through them. And so just to tell people you need to hang on, I need to think a moment mm. and that that's okay. It's yeah. okay not to always be in constant motion. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being thank on the Thank you for letting me show. be a guest. And the 20 questions were not as bad as I thought oh, they were. Oh, good. Be. Good. I like that. Um, it's my pleasure to, to have you on. We want to remind everybody Shining Our Light opens on the 4th in uh, that first uh, production scheduled for 3 o'clock. And we would encourage you to get your tickets yes. right now. Yes. want to be sure and thank everybody again for listening. I'll be back uh, sometime in the future for another edition of The Big Interview Show. Stay tuned. Coming up next right now on College Radio Day, The Collision with Casey Malone. You're listening to the Big Interview Show.